0: Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Flanagas blows the whistle? It's official. Canada, 2000 World Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. Yes, it's episode 57 of the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo. He's Thomas Neff. We're here less than a week before the Canadian men's national team squad for the March window is unveiled. So we've got a pretty loaded show this week, Thomas.
1: That we do, my friend. Uh, We're also going to give you our predictions for that squad. Uh, New details have come out as well for the U-20 camp. You're not going to want to miss it. Uh, Canadians abroad are also in action one final week before the FIFA break. Uh, Can't believe I'm saying this, but once again, tickets are sold out for that Jamaica match and MLS continues. Montreal will see their final chance at advancing in the Champions League against Kruzu and so much more in the news and notes as well as the questions that you guys have sent in. So thank you so much
0: for that. Absolutely. A reminder that the Northern Football Podcast is partnered with Northern Tribune and Canucks Abroad. Check them out at northerntribune.ca and canucks-abroad.ca, respectively. Give them a follow on Twitter at North Tribune and canucks underscore abroad as well while you're at it. If you're interested in sponsoring the Northern Football Podcast, then send us a DM on Twitter at northernfootball at PW or at Thomas Neff and follow us on there if you don't already. Finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episodes. If your platforms of choice are Apple, or Spotify, then leave us a rating on there. And if your go-to is Apple, drop us a review as well. Well, let's begin with the Canadian men's national team, whose
1: squad is expected to be announced by this weekend ahead of their final World Cup qualifiers against Costa Rica and San Jose on March 24th, Jamaica at Bima Field on March 27th, and Panama away on March 30th. But before we dive into our predictions, tickets went on sale for the final home match on March 27th versus Jamaica at BMO Field. And the tickets, as you probably guessed, sold out quickly once again. Though it didn't go unnoticed this time, uh, as those same tickets from the Panama game in October, the last time BMO Field hosted a qualifier, uh, have gone up about two to three times in value. Uh, Voyager's tickets were about $50 each all-in, plus a select amount in three sections were $62 each with fees, Then it went up to $91 and so on.
0: Peter, what do you think about the CSA's pricing and pre-sale method of the game? I'm in two minds with this because I understand both sides of the argument. I think first and foremost, Ticketmaster charging that much for fees is absurd. But businesses set prices based on demand. The CSA knows the men are a hot ticket right now. BMO Field is a smaller stadium than, say, Commonwealth in November or what BC Place could have been if they had gone there in January. So if there are 27,000 plus people willing to pay those prices on top of the $50 a year membership that gives them first access, then why not charge it? I'm all for affordable tickets, but this is a World Cup qualifier where Canada could officially qualify for the first time in 36 years expecting the prices to stay at 30 to 60 dollars throughout the entire cycle was pretty optimistic especially considering the csa's financial issues entering the ocho bear in mind usmnt qualifiers cost 90 dollars us at minimum so this is still pretty reasonable considering that as for the pre-sale method i do see the logic in that in that you reduce the scalping risk, you reward the loyal fans. It does shut out the casual fans, some of whom want to get into the team more. And the best way to do that is by attending a match and being uh, ingrained in the fan experience at the stadium. But if the CSA knows they can get a sellout by doing it this way, plus make a little extra with the Canada Red memberships, then they're going to do it see the thing is i'm mixed about it
1: but in a different way everybody knows as you just mentioned that canada is a hot commodity right now everyone wants to see canada whether you're a hardcore whether you're a casual and i'm telling you man i've paid for some tickets before to go to some festivals and paid 300 400 so for someone telling me that 120 dollars for an event is a lot well, I mean, you'd kind of have to redefine as to what you think is a lot, right? I mean, everyone can spend uh, more or less depending on, on how much they they can spend up to. But here's the thing, though. A lot of people are complaining that the tickets were sold quickly. And I understand their frustrations. And a lot of people are arguing that if you weren't there, if you weren't one of the, you know, 200,000 people, I'm just going to throw a number out there, watching on one soccer, for example – beat Canada, Cayman Islands, then you don't deserve to, to get have the chance to, you know, buy tickets. Here's the thing with that. One, yes, it provides a home field advantage that maybe there is a worry that a lot of Jamaican fans might snag up those tickets because Toronto has one of the biggest communities. I mean, we saw it against El Salvador and I'm pretty sure Canada soccer wants to avoid that once again. Yeah, of course. And and people are, are furious because The hardcore fans are snagging this up, but at the same time, I don't blame them. I mean, look, I mean, if you've been watching this national team lose and what was it in, in, I believe, in in 2016 when Benito Floro uh, was sacked, then they played the next match against, I think, what is it, Marortuna? Well, man, if you if you were watching those games, I mean, I think you 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 clearly deserve the chance to be there. But at the same time, the only way to make the program grow and and to have the this national team continue to be um, a talking point, yes, television helps, radio helps, newspapers help. But if you don't have a casual person, you know, who went to the match
0: That's and it. then went
1: went 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 into the office the next day or whatever and talked about oh my god that's the second or third soccer match i've ever watched in my life and it was incredible because i i i, I know this from edmonton uh you know being my hometown i went to edmonton recently and people were telling me oh yeah that was the first ever soccer match that i went to and it was an incredible experience so just have that i mean itself is, is quite big but at the same i i at the same time i understand and respect the arguments of well you weren't there to watch us play against the minutes, so. You know, you win, you lose. You know, you can't get it all.
0: But but you know that gatekeeping isn't good for the growth of the sport here. Um, I, I get that people are protective of it. I get that you know you you want to be rewarded for your for your faith and and for sticking by this program for so long despite many 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 negative moments. But if you want to see it truly hit the peak of its growth, as you said. You need more casual fans to get involved. And the best way to do that, Thomas, is by experiencing a match live. So you you have to kind of let that go a little bit and be willing to see that. I personally don't have a problem with fans of all different levels of quote-unquote fandom getting involved with the national team. As I tweeted the other day, right as the tickets went on sale, I had never had so many people texting me asking, how do I get CanMNT tickets? Um, And that's good. The the more of that that you see, guess what? The more games you're going to see on television, the more coverage you're going to get, you know, and then the more money goes into the program and and therefore Canada Soccer can keep growing from there. It's, It's pretty simple.
1: Well, with that being said, let's get into our
0: squad predictions.
1: Uh, let's start with the goalkeepers, then work our way up.
0: Okay, uh, so my three goalkeepers. The first two are pretty straightforward. Thomas, it's Borian and Kripo. Um, The third goalkeeper, and I know we got a couple questions from listeners about this. One of them being Nick Spirit. Um, you know, whether Bress is going to be our third goalkeeper. He is for me. The simple reason being. He has started all six games for Montreal so far this season. He has kept them alive in both of their Champions League ties thus far. He's faced more than five expected goals combined in the away legs against Cruz Azul and Santos, yet only conceded twice. Um, He is slowly becoming more assertive coming off his line. Um, He's obviously a very good shot stopper. Distribution-wise could maybe use a little bit of work, but... I say you reward his really strong start to the season and you call him up because based on the other options available, he is the best guy. Um, and then if you go to the defense, uh, I'm going to go from right to left here. I went with Lorea, Zachary broguiar Alistair Johnston, Daniil Henry, Stephen Vittoria, Scott Kennedy, and then Kamal Miller, and then the left back, Sam Kubi, and your fellow Chilean-Canadian Thomas, Christian Gutierrez. Um, in the midfield, Stefan Estacchio, Liam Fraser, Atipa Hutchinson, Mark Anthony K, and Jonathan Osorio make that up. So only five as opposed to six from the last window. And then the forwards from right to left, Junior Hoylet, Tejan Buchanan, Lucas Cavallini, Ike Ugbo, Kyle Laren, Jonathan David, and Liam Miller. So really the, the big, I think, concern, Thomas, is whether Larea and Ashtakio will be, I suppose, at the level to play all 270 minutes in this window, and they probably won't have to if they qualify, and John Herdman says, well, you know what, maybe let's not try to go for all three wins, but I can't really see that. Um, I'm not too worried about Estacio because he's only, yes, he's only played, what, three, four games, and maybe a combined 60 minutes in that span, but at least he's played games. Larea has not. His last appearance came against El Salvador on February 2nd, So that is a pretty big concern at this point. Um, But the rest of it, I really don't see very many surprises in this squad because Herbman's been pretty consistent. He's called up guys who have been part of this core group of players over the last year who have that tactical familiarity with each other and that chemistry with each other. And I don't think he messes with that.
1: Yeah, my squad is a little bit different than yours, although not much change. But I would bring a 25-man squad, and, and and I'll explain my reasoning. Uh, goalkeepers will be Borjan, Crepo, Bresta, and if you can bring a fourth goalkeeper, then I would bring Saint Clair. Reason being, Pantamis and Lutwiler have been called recently. I think it's you know time to shift shift gears for that, and you know give that chance, especially with Borjan potentially retiring uh, after this cycle. Defenders: Atakube obviously gets called in. Uh, Christian Gutierrez gets called in, you know, to play that one game against Costa Rica. Obviously, you No know, Alfonso Davies. Victoria, Henry, Kennedy, Miller, and Cornelius—five uh, center backs. Okay. Pretty simple. I mean, Vittoria doesn't play all three games anyway, so you yep. need backup there regardless. Yeah. Uh, Henry just started playing with yeah. LAFC, yeah. so there's that. Um, you know, there's you know, it's questions whether he's you know ready to go, uh, kind of thing. You know, to go the distance if Vittoria needs it. Uh, Kennedy can play on both sides, left and right. Miller started pretty early. Uh, with Montreal this season Uh, Cornelius for me is because he's been in most in season but I did kind of think that Waterman's performance you know could kind of get him in but again I mean Cornelius has been in season for quite some time so that's that's the reasoning for five center backs Uh, Larea gets in regardless of no um, uh, game time Uh, Johnson of course central midfielders same as you the five midfielders so stakio atiba Kay, Osorio, and fraser uh no piet um due to injury and and we've and we've touched on this so many times peter there isn't there isn't a clear there isn't another clear favorite to really jump into that uh midfield uh group uh especially with so many guys you know that are young that have no caps and why not witherspoon's injured so uh, no one jumps out at me, and they can prove that they can manage with five midfielders. I mean, they did yeah. it in this last window, uh, with a lot of them, you know, injured and whatnot. And, and I think they had four in the final game, but yeah, something you know, like <laughs> and, and playing two of them, they they managed okay. Yeah, uh, forwards David, Lair, Buchanan, Miller, Hoylett, Utbo, and Cavallini hasn't been a long time since Cavallini's, um form has been put into question, but now I feel like I'm rightfully choosing him. So so that'll that'll be my squad.
0: Fair enough. There, There aren't many surprises, Thomas, just because that's not really been Herdman's MO during the Ocho. His priority has been winning games. And the best way to win games is by pretty much calling up the most consistent group of players that you can. You know, I know a lot of listeners are going to be expecting maybe one or two shocks, uh, and it's very possible that he could do that because I think predicting Herdman squads is quite like predicting his lineups. You will often get it wrong, but I feel like with the squad, it's more often than not pretty consistent. And to close out the session, let's get into
1: some of the burning questions from our listeners regarding the upcoming roster unveiling. Uh, Jeffrey Pinesker wants to know, call up for Raheem. I would say this is a tough one. Uh, he doesn't crack just because of all the Uh, winger options Uh, but Peter nonetheless he has been a player that has been very consistent the last couple of seasons and and has gone unnoticed
0: well in terms of playing time yes in terms of the quality of those minutes I would argue that the first three games albeit in a very small sample size have been far more impressive than the 13 or 1400 minutes he got with LAFC last year would I call him up sure but the fact Schwanier and especially Guti are familiar in a back three, not to mention Guti uh, has been with the national team in recent months. That gives them the edge, I think, and a pretty big one at that. Will he get called up? No, because as we've kind of touched on in our squad predictions, Herdman will prioritize chemistry and tactical familiarity. I feel take nothing away from Edwards form. He's, you know, in terms of his deep progressions, his defensive quality and defensive responsibility, because even when he's lost possession, he's been very diligent in tracking back and making sure he doesn't uh, obviously slack on those responsibilities defensively as a left back. If he keeps this up heading into June, he will absolutely deserve a call up for Nations League. But right now, it might be a tad early. And he's also at a disadvantage, much like a, a Schwannier is that there isn't or that there is a lot of depth in these positions for Canada. Well, the next question we have is from Shan. Will Matthew Chanier
1: get a call up this window since he can play as a left wing back and a right wing back? Um, this one's an interesting one because you have Larea, who can play as a left wing back. Uh, yes, he hasn't played much minutes, but. I think Canada. You can make the exception there, considering how good he's done. Yeah. Also, you bring up. Um. I think just Gutierrez has just been more more ready than than he is. Uh. But he, in actually in your squad, you actually didn't even bring you didn't bring him up. You actually brought up uh his uh, club teammate Rocky Lard. Yeah. Um. Do you think you know he would be ready for this? Because obviously Canada does have so many options to fill the gaps that
0: Davies and Adekube are, are leaving for this window. Yeah. or at least for the first match. Yeah, I think he'd be ready for sure. Um, the, the fact he can play both sides, and listen, Guti can now also play on both sides too. He's played on the right a bit for, for Vancouver to start the season, um, although I still prefer him on the left. And ironically enough, despite the fact that Schwanier would be playing inverted, I actually prefer him on the left as well. Um, I, I just think the fact that he's cutting onto a stronger right foot and, and his abilities to get forward and his vision in the final third are such a threat. Like, the guy was constantly getting into the box and creating danger last season, and I feel like that's been clipped this year now that he's playing on the right. The reason I went with Broguillard is because he's just been in recent squads. Um, Would I call up Broguillard over Schwanier? No, but I think that's what Herdman's going to do. But for sure, Schwanier deserves the call, and and I think he has deserved a call since probably around September, October last year because he had a really good season throughout 2021.
1: Dom at D Gangnam ninety four. Could we see Edwards, Kone or a Also, a similar question from Brian Ray eighty eight. Is Jebison going to be in camp? Now we already answered the Edwards question, but Kone. Kone is a new name, uh, as we you know touched on. Made his professional debut in in Concacaf Champions League. Impressed there. What's there to be said? Because both of us picked only five uh, central midfielders, as there isn't one clear player. But but Kone seems to you know. If he continues this up or, you know, at least puts up, you know, strong numbers this year, he could be one to watch out for the future. And Jefferson, we already kind of know what to
0: expect. Julian de Guzman on TSN, I think it was after the Orlando City game, but I could be wrong on that for Montreal, was saying that John Herbman and his staff were already tracking Ismail Kone's progress and were pretty interested in bringing him in. So I think if there's anyone of the surprises, quote unquote, who could make it, it could be Kone. I believe he would have to officially file his one-time switch of nationality because he is born in the Ivory Coast. Yes, he's been living in Montreal for the last five years, which makes him eligible, but he still has to go through that process, I'm pretty sure. I feel like, again, Thomas, with guys like Kone, with Jevison, anyone who can can make that change of nationality, that's going to come in June. Kone has absolutely impressed this year, for sure. Like Every game he's played in, he continues to improve in all aspects of the game. I still think his defensive awareness could use a lot of work, but keep in mind, he came through as a winger. So this is a new position for him playing in the midfield. That's going to come with time. But in terms of March, it's probably going to be a bit early. But of the three that, that Dom mentioned there, Kone probably, for me, has the best chance just because of the fact that there is a spot open there in the midfield if Herman wants to bring up six guys. And he would be replacing
1: um, Piet as well, yeah. uh, given that obviously Piet, you know, they play in the same club, so kind of a uh, like for like replacement there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Next question is from Terry Byrne: uh, Could Theo Corbin make it back into the squad for this window? I don't think so. I mean, I had my... I actually did say uh, last window that it was time for him to get back in. Uh, But that was before Cavallini was struggling. It seems like he's finally, you know, gone back into rhythm, which we hope lasts. Uh, But I mean, look, I mean, the options at wing wingers uh, that you have are just so much more superior than him at this point.
0: Yeah, the fact Junior Hoylet is fit, the fact that he's playing every week and actually looking pretty good, despite the fact Redding is now dangerously close to relegation, by the way, really hinders Corbinu. Um, he's been excellent for MK Don since he joined there on loan. Um, he's become a more goal scoring threat, let's say. It hasn't exactly translated to consistent goal scoring yet, but he's at least taking the chance and attempting more shots than he normally has in, in the last year or so. He's starting to become a more creative threat as well. Uh, picked up an assist in midweek for MK Don's. So... It's not like he hasn't done enough to get in, but it's the same sort of issue that Schwannier and Edwards are facing and that there is depth. Not to mention, Canada does rotate systems from time to time, right? Sometimes they will go with a 4-4-2 and that opens up a spot for Miller and for Hoylet to go on either wing, but Hoylet can also play centrally, so that helps him. Corbinu, I suppose, could, but I like him better on the wing. So that is another thing that kind of works against him here.
1: Mike K at Sports Fanatic A, will we see Ugbo and Cavalini together up front based on their current form this window? And similar question from Michael Do we see Ugbo finally start? I say yes. Hope it is against Jamaica so I can see him score his first Kane goal at BMO. Very interesting first question, Peter. I mean, considering Ugbo and Cavalini have been obviously on the bench, uh, David, you know, the clear number one central forward. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to, you know, you know, test some depth and, and see if those two players who are competing for the same positions for the same playing time uh, can indeed work together in the field.
0: I actually don't hate that partnership at all. Um, Ugbo is the guy who will play more advanced. He can stretch the back line, um, keep defenders occupied. Cavallini benefits a lot whenever you hit early crosses and he's running from deeper positions much like all the other strikers in the Canadian player pool apart from Ugbo. So, yeah, it could absolutely work. Will we see it? I have my doubts. I would like to see Ugbo start a game. I think he would offer a lot of of different qualities, right? Because he will be able to run in behind the defense. He will keep them occupied. That will then allow the wingers and or the wingbacks, plus whoever he's starting up front with, whether that's David or... Uh, Cavallini or Laren to thrive in their more preferred role. I am a bit surprised he hasn't gotten a, a longer look or a more consistent look yet, but let's hope that it changes in this window.
1: Next question is from Ethan Drew. Do you think Byron will let Fonzie go to the Toronto game to join in on the team's celebration? or Do you think they're going to keep him to continue his rehab? Aiden Stanky would love to see Byron allow Fonzo to fly to turn on and watch the Jamaican game live in person celebrate with the team. Any chance you think Bayern will allow this? So I actually, well, first of all, let's start with the fact that neither of us had him in our squads Yes. Uh, for obviously basic reasons. But I'll add this. I was in Edmonton recently. I spoke to someone close to his camp. There's no chance. Herman has been asking about Fonzie on a day-to-day, week-to-week basis and Bayern at
0: the same time. And there's just no chance. There's no chance at all. None, zero. The the fact that he's just returned to individual training, and we're going to get more into this in the Canucks Abroad roundup and stuff, means that Bayern's going to be watching him even more closely because every time he trains, they're going to have to run exams and see if he's able to handle it just with his heart and stuff, right? So they're going to want to keep a close eye on that. It's unfortunate, but his health comes first, you know, And, and that's just the simple fact. Moving from the seniors to the U-20s, Peter, you tweeted out details about this upcoming
1: preparatory camp last Wednesday. Mm -hmm. The details are as follows: The camp will run from April 10th to 22nd. will feature two games against Costa Rica, likely played in San Jose. The final squad for that camp will be selected by March 21st next week. Uh, Is there anything else you can tell us, um, you know, revealing those bits of info?
0: Well, the invites have gone out to 50 prospective players who could make up that squad for April. Based on the players and the families I've spoken to, everybody is so excited about this. Um, They are really motivated to show their worth. They really want to play for Canada. Um, That includes some dual nationals, by the way. Really, the, the only... I guess question mark right now is when will the squad be announced? I did tweet that it's going to be March 21st. It could change just depending on whether clubs want to play ball or not. Um, So we could end up seeing it bleed into uh, the March window for the senior team and they just kind of announce it right before that Costa Rica game, maybe even during the window. But it will be announced well ahead of time before that camp. And the fact they're playing away uh, is going to be really beneficial too. Um, because it, it gives them a chance to to play in, in some tougher conditions. Plus, it's going to be similar to what they're going to experience in Honduras in the summertime. So why not get it out of the way and, and see how these guys can can handle a, a pretty solid under-20 program in their building?
1: But I think that's the idea, right? I mean, they're not going into Costa Rica just for the sake of just going to Costa Rica oh, and getting some games. Yeah. There is that a strategic move that they are going to go there for the conditions given that the U-20 championship will be in 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 Honduras right yeah. next door. Yeah. Um, but we received another question from North Van Steve. When will we hear about a roster for the U-20 championship? Um, well, obviously much later. I mean, you'd expect it to be, you know, late May and whatnot.
0: That will be no later than 10 days before the start of the tournament. So we're talking like at the very latest early June. And I think Canada will probably wait until then. I think the provisional roster comes out exactly 30 days before the tournament starts so we'll at least have an idea of who could be on there in the middle of may
1: either way we'll know 10 days before the tournament either concaf will leak or canada soccer will will leak it before um we'll post it i should say well they're they they are
0: allowed to post it ahead of those 10 days it's just that's the deadline so it, it really just depends on on what the federations want to do
1: I just hope that, you know, they're able to follow the, the women's uh, U-20 program and and finally qualify to, to a World Cup. Indeed. More on that in the news and notes. Moving on now to the Canucks abroad roundup. As we mentioned, Alphonso Davies earlier, he's returned to individual training with Bayern Munich. However, Ewing Magosman says he's still two to four weeks away from returning to game action, which means we can likely expect an April return. Jonathan David and Lil drew 0-0 with Saint-Etienne on Friday ahead of their second leg of their Champions League clash against Chelsea. David lasted about an hour as they prepare for the Champions League. Lil trails 2-0 from their first leg in Stamford Bridge. Kyle Laren had about 55 minutes off the bench and looked pretty lively as Besiktas lost 2-1 to Galatasaray in their derby on Monday. Laren had three shots, one of which came very close. Atiba Hodgson, on the other hand, started that match despite concerns over a minor hamstring injury. He came out of the game at halftime after picking up a yellow card and being targeted by Galatasaray's press, which led to some dangerous turnovers. Sticking to Turkey, Sam Adekube logged 90 minutes in another solid performance for Sport in a 3-0 win on Saturday back over to France where Ike Ugo played 64 minutes and scored his second goal of the season for Troyes in a huge win over Nantes. Uh, what do you make of his time in Ligue 1 so far?
0: It's funny because he's only getting about, what, one shot a game pretty much, yet he's scored twice. Um, and that's what Ugo does. He is a very clinical finisher. He has really good off-the-ball movement. All he needs is one chance. If he goes up against a hot goalkeeper then fair enough, it's not going to go in. Uh, but this is what he does, and that's why I said if he gets five to six goals from the time he joined in January till the end of the season, that could be enough to keep Tois in Lyon for next season, and so far he is meeting that projection, maybe even slightly eclipsing it.
1: Stefano Stacchi was an unused substitute in Porto's win over Tandela over the weekend. Porto has Lyon in Europa League this Thursday with the French club leading the matchup one nothing on aggregate. More on Estakio's situation in a bit. Tish Buchanan went the full 90 for Club Rouge in a 3-1 win over Ossende. Once again, Buchanan was driving play with his dribbling to varying effects. In the Belgian second division, Liam Fraser also lasted the full 90 for Dines in a 3-3 draw with waasland Webren. Another good game in terms of his distribution, but his defensive acumen could still use some work. In the championship, Junior Hoya locked 81 minutes for Reading, who lost 4-0 to Nottingham Forrest. On the other side, Richard Larea did not make the matchday squad for Forrest in this one yet again. More on him later. Daniel Jefferson came off the bench in the second half stoppage time in Sheffield's 4-1 loss to Coventry City. Down in League One, Theo Corbin, who started for MK Don's last Tuesday's win against Chalten of Town. And registered an assist before coming off the bench for 22 minutes in Saturday's 1-1 draw with Wigan. And after a mediocre display for Basel against Marseille in the UEFA Europa Conference League on Thursday, Liam Miller rebounded with a solid second half in Sunday's league win over Servette. The 2020-year-old recorded two shots, five key passes, and completed three or four dribbles. Scott Kennedy and Jan Regensburg winless run extended to six games after a 1-1 draw with Karlsruhe on Sunday as Kennedy completed the 90 minutes. Very concerning situation for his side. It was a busy week for Canadian goalkeepers. Milan Borean and Restor Belgrade lost 3-0 to Rangers in the first leg of the Europa League round of 16 matchup. None of the goals were on Borean in what was otherwise a routine performance. It was anything but routine for Dane Sinclair on Sunday. His Minnesota United edge, the New York Red Bulls won nothing. No thanks to his heroic display. No thanks to his heroic display. Sinclair faced eight shots on target, including a penalty with an expected goals total of 3.1 and still kept a clean
0: sheet. Uh, Has he won the number one job with this showing? I feel like if there's any possible way to do that, that would be it. Um, It would be really hard to drop him after that because let me tell you, Thomas, Minnesota was horrendous defensively. They could have lost, well, I mean, the expected goals kind of show this, they could have lost 3-0 or or 4-0 if not for St. Clair. He did get offers in the offseason from multiple clubs, including New England, who need to replace Matt Turner when he goes to Arsenal. If anything, that will at least raise the asking price, and then maybe he can go elsewhere and start. But maybe for now, I feel like he didn't hurt his chances. That's for sure.
1: Well, just to add a little bit on that, I mean, there was reports that the Whitecaps aren't interested, or were interested in him. I should say, um, if uh, Thomas Assal, you know, doesn't really, you know, get it together and 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 perform, you know, to the best of his ability, Maxim Crepault kept his second clean sheet of twenty twenty two as LAFC shut out Inter Miami two 0 on Saturday. Crepo uh, continues to kill it in California. Uh, Daniel Henry had to start in front of Crepo and went the full ninety. Henry looked pretty sturdy, so this likely means he will remain part of the Canada squad this month. Uh, pretty good news, Peter. Uh, overall, you know him, you know getting a new club and sure an unused substitute starts uh, him getting some minutes with LAFC. Mark Anthony Kay did it all for the Colorado Rapids in their 2-0 victory over Sporting KC. He scored, completed 39 of his 48 passes, and was covering every blade of grass defensively as well. And as we already discussed, there is growing momentum behind Raheem Edwards' recall to the national team. He went 90 for LA Galaxy against the Seattle Sounders and looked excellent on both sides off the ball again. Tesho got some token minutes off the bench for Orlando City in their 2-1. Lost to Cincinnati. And finally, Richie Ennen remains a regular star for Nishi Novgorod as he went 64 minutes in Saturday's nil nil draw with Ufa in the Russian Premier League. And from the Canucks to Broad Roundup to the mailbag, we go. We have a mixture of unanswered questions for Peter's Roundup uh, that's up on sportsnet.ca now if you haven't read it yet, plus various requests via the Northern Football Twitter account. Uh, let's get started with this. A question from Ken. He asked about a rumor regarding Tom Holmes, writing's 21-year-old centre-back. Apparently, he has a Canadian-born grandparent. Do you have any more information on this?
0: Yeah, this is just classic Canadian soccer sleuthing, Thomas. Um, so to those who don't know about the rumor, uh, there was a comment posted on Joshua Cloak's article on the next wave of Canadian talent on The Athletic, and it speculated that Tom Holmes had a Canadian grandparent. So I reached out to Redding after Ken pointed this out to me. And before I got a response back, the guys at Canucks Abroad, shout out to them, actually reached out to Holmes directly. And Holmes himself did confirm that his grandmother is born in Canada. So the next question then is, is that enough to make him eligible for the national team? Initially, Thomas, based on just a a quick glance at uh, basically the Canadian citizenship requirements and whatnot... I thought that as long as you had sufficient evidence that a grandparent was born here, that was enough. But in the case of Sandra Solholm, who did have a Canadian-born grandparent, and Motherwell did actually confirm that the grandparent was born in the GTA, that apparently wasn't enough to make him eligible. Now, we don't know the details. Maybe the evidence wasn't sufficient enough. Who knows? Um, But that is really the, the one big question mark from now. But if he is indeed eligible, Thomas, that is a massive get. Holmes is 22, actually just turned 22 over the weekend, I believe. So that's a pretty nice birthday present to find out that you're Canadian eligible. He is a regular starter in the championship and is one of those up-and-coming young English-born centre-backs that could end up making the move to the Premier League. Like, if Reading ends up going down, I could see him moving elsewhere and actually thriving for a top-end championship team, maybe even a lower... Half Premier League side if they are ambitious enough.
1: Well, at his age, I mean, twenty-two already, sixty, more than sixty appearances in the Championship. I mean, shows great quality. I've been saying this forever, Peter, but center back uh, is—it's gotten better, and it's you know, it's good now. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean,
0: they could do some bolstering. If we get somebody in
1: for a (laughs) center back, it would just be mind blowing. I think it—I think it would be bigger than the Uku news, and we know how big that news was. Yes, it was. Yeah. David K. at David underscore Kiespin. Can someone please file a missing person report for Lorea Anostakio asking for John Herdman? Listen, I'll, I'll say it again. I'll, uh, and, and I think I've said this in the previous shows. When you move up to a higher level, higher club, higher league, whatever it is, there's always risk of this happening. There and a lot of us, myself included, I think I'm putting Peter in this boat as well, and the fans. We want the players to be playing in the highest level possible. How many times have we had people tell us, especially after Canada cracked the top 50 of the FIFA rankings, Larea and Johnston, but mostly Larea. Larea goes to championship. He has to go to England. Porto have been sniffing for Eustachio. He has to move to Porto. Boom, boom. Both both things happened, which is, you know, two Canadians out of, what was it, six that moved this window? What, six or seven? Yeah, something and like that. Yeah, I mean, when the news came out, it's incredible, but there's always a risk that this happens, and we cannot have it both ways. We, we want our players to be playing in the best environments possible, but at the same time, if they're not
0: playing with their clubs, I would say that they're still, you know, an important part of the national team. So some context for this. Um, you are right. There is always risk involved when you make that jump. I think in both cases, certainly Lorea's. it's just very unfortunate because Max Lowe and Jed Spence have been incredible in both wingback positions. And Steve Cooper is not going to want to mess with that as the team's pushing for promotion, getting further in the FA Cup. And Larea is probably a signing earmarked for next season anyways, because Jed Spence is on loan from Middlesbrough. And it's unlikely he is going to stay at Nottingham Forest. So I think that's probably why they made the move. Plus, when they signed Lorea, there was actually a possibility of Spence getting recalled to Middlesbrough. So unfortunately, the situation panned out the way it did. And in the case of Estacchio, he is more so a signing for next season as well, because Sergio Oliveira is out. He's on loan currently at Roma, but it looks like that option is going to get picked up. And therefore, Estacchio is going to get purchased by Porto from Pashus, But no doubt about it, it's really unfortunate now because they're not playing. Um, and it's going to hurt their rhythm with the national team. 100% it will. I don't have as much worry regarding Eshtacchio because at least he has gotten off the bench and onto the pitch at times. Um, but Lorea is going to be so rusty, I feel. I, I, he could end up shocking us. I mean, this wouldn't be the first time that Lorea has proven doubters wrong, but it is 100% an issue.
1: Rude, trude It seems to me that Tejan hasn't been carrying the ball forward as much as he's used to. He's so dangerous in 1v1 situations, but we rarely see him take on defenders,
0: instead passing the ball backwards. Have you noticed this? I have. In his first couple of games, he absolutely was a dynamo. Um, He was constantly creating danger on the dribble, setting up chances, even had a couple of opportunities to score. Never mind. Um, since then, it's kind of fizzled out a little bit. And I think that's expected because teams have started to game plan against Buchanan. And yes, he does pass backwards a lot, but look at the majority of fullback or wingbacks in his mold. More often than not, they're going to try and dribble, get around defenders. When they can't, they're just going to pass it backwards. The issue is the fact that teams are now pressing him early and are succeeding against him because, newsflash, the quality of defending... And the overall tactical awareness for defenders in Belgium compared to MLS is higher. Um, and that's just something Buchanan's going to have to adjust to in due time. He has still wriggled free on occasion. He has still set up some pretty quality chances regardless. It's just not been to the level that we saw in MLS. Um, based on his rapid growth, Thomas, I'm sure he's going to figure it out very soon um, and adjust accordingly. But right now, yes, that, that is a bit of a problem.
1: Mark Cabajo asked, do we have any updates on Richie Ennen? Is he going to stay in Russia, or is he going to go back to his club in Latvia? Well, I mean, you know, he is on loan with the chance. Um, I believe they have an extended period, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but regardless, I mean, if he were to go back to Latvia, Peter, I mean, the downside of level that would be, would be huge.
0: But the fact that Ennen is still there probably means that he is willing to stick it out for the rest of the season. There are two months left or so in the Russian Premier League campaign. And look, for all we know, the the situation in Ukraine could worsen by then. Maybe he will be uncomfortable staying in Russia. I don't know. Everybody's different, right? Some foreigners have already left. Some foreigners have stayed. He is playing every week, which is obviously very beneficial. He has grown a lot um, as a player. It it is a very delicate situation. What will be interesting to, to see is what will happen after the season because... He's familiar with the coach. Um, He's obviously done well there. He's probably going to have a lot of suitors in the summertime. But as for right now, I I think he's going to stay put where he is.
1: I think it would be a shame if he were to go back to Latvia and a new club doesn't come sniffing around for him. And, you know, given the situation, I mean, we asked uh, to have Enid on the show, you know, I think what was it in June, I believe. And he obviously declined, obviously, given that this club situation at the time wasn't steady, but what a story he must have, you know, in store
0: <laughs> yeah, for those God. loved
1: ones. You know, playing in Russia uh, in the midst of war. Continuing now, uh, another question from David K: uh, What is going on with Stefan Mitrovic? Did he reject a senior team call-up for Canada? or are his chances of cracking into Serbia's midfield? Uh, similar question from Mark Bahansky. There's been a lot of smoke surrounding Stefan Mitrovic in recent days. Any updates on the truth behind the situation? Is <laughs> a qualification of the Canam and T4 guitar. A moment that warrants changing for the soundbite into the introduction of the show. Possibly, um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, <Yes. 100%>. hundred <laughs> percent. I, I definitely think that, I think that if Canada qualifies, I think that's definitely. I don't know no, when Canada qualifies. I should say that that's that should be the new intro. <laughs> I, that's good Probably. job, Mark.
0: Probably, yeah. yes, yes.
1: Uh, on Mitrovic, uh, he has been called up to Serbia's U21 squad Yep, uh, to play uh, a pair of uh, qualifiers for the U21 European Championship. Uh, so I'll say that. Um, he re-signed a two-year deal with Radnik Nish, mm-hmm. uh, giving that he thought it was the best thing for his development. Uh, playing-wise, he gets along with the coach, so there's that. I think his deal was going to expire at the end of uh, 2022. 2023, so
0: I, was, I believe it was summer 2023.
1: Yeah, this is going to keep him much longer at the club. Look, I'll say it again. I mean, there was a, a clarification that he rejected a Canada call-up. The Canada call-up was only for January camp. It That's was right. never yeah. an official call-up. There was interest for an official call-up, but uh, you know, there was never the official invite. Uh, man, this is a hairy situation. Um, as long as the player wants to come and the association wants the player to come, that's it. Uh, he is not good enough for Serbia's senior or, or Canada's senior team yet. And given that he's, he's chosen to stay at Renik Nish, uh, even less now. That's what I, that's what I think. Um, he had a lot of, uh, potential suitors, um, this offseason, uh, as I was, you know, in contact with, you know, some of them, but at the end of the day, these things fall and it's unfortunate that the deal, the potential deal fell through. But yeah, I just think that the whole situation has been just over exaggerated in, in my opinion from uh, the family's point of view.
0: I also do think that it's a case of maybe a mistranslation. Maybe some Serbian speaking listeners can go to the article on the Red Niki Niche website and, and confirm that for us. But yeah, you said it. It was a January invite to the preparatory camp that was ultimately cancelled. The fact he's gotten called up to the Serbian under-21s, really no surprise because he got called up in November, debuted and scored against Ukraine. Um, so it's only natural he's going to get called up again. That does probably also mean he's not going to get called up to the senior team this window and I wouldn't have expected it anyways. But he's still temporarily cap tied to Serbia regardless. He has to file the one-time switch to come over. Um, I don't think his chances are, are null and void right now to represent Canada. He's still keeping an open mind with it. In terms of whether he's going to get into Serbia's midfield, there is a chance, because in recent tournaments they've qualified for, they have brought up some domestic-based youngsters, two European championships, two World Cups. The midfield's pretty loaded right now for Serbia, as well as the wing positions. But if they really wanted to bring in Mitrovic and show their commitment to him, I think they could end up calling him up. Uh, but so could Canada, right? And I think if they show interest, Canada would have the edge here.
1: Moving on now from Nick Spirits. Any update on Flores and where he stands with the CanMNT?
0: No, it's pretty much the same situation as it always is. Um, Until there is some sort of camp, maybe they do one ahead of the Nations League in June, and maybe finally this time he can actually show up because varying circumstances have prevented Flores from going. That could be the time when he eventually commits. But, I, I mean, Mexico is going to be favored just because of the family reasons.
1: That's right. Two camps have been canceled, both of which... Flores was invited to, accepted the first one, uh, wasn't undecided if he was going to come to the second one, but regardless, the camp was canceled, so you couldn't really give him the option there. Final question for the Canucks Abroad mail. Final question from the Canucks Abroad mailbag, sub at the pub. Do you think Andre Caravelli is being vindictive because Kyle Aaron isn't resigning? I get that the whole white play players that are leaving, but Pashiktes is now outside of your competition spot and have scored more than one goal in only three matches since Christmas. Their best goal option is a stapled to the bench.
0: He did come in out of necessity and did well against Galatasaray, so that's going to help. Caravelli has drawn a lot of criticism from Besiktas fans for his tactical decisions, for his overall team selection. Um, Now, Kenan Karaman, who replaced... Laren in the lineup has actually done really well. And that coincided with Laren getting hurt with him going on international duty, all that. Um, So good on him for capitalizing on the opportunities. And listen, you ride the hot hand in that situation. I I think his contract definitely had something to do with it for sure. And I think or um, Caravelli did also say something about um, Laren's, uh, you know, I guess, lack of, of impetus to track back let's say, defensively, was also a reason why he got dropped. That is true, but listen, he's never really done that even last season when he was the team's top scorer. Now that he's not re-signed and the team is struggling and he isn't scoring at the same rate he was scoring at, suddenly that's an issue. Like, it, it doesn't really make sense. It's kind of double standards in a lot of ways. But, you know, Caravelli could be facing the sack here soon. Maybe it ends up changing Laren's fortunes for the rest of the season. Um, the fact he did well coming off the bench might help, but I think Caravelli does have his favorite, and that is going to be Caramon when he is fit.
1: And with that, moving on now, the draw for the 2022 Canadian Championship has been finalized. The first round matchups to go are as follows. Cavalry will take on FC Edmonton in El Clasico, while the Vancouver Whitecaps face Valor FC at home. The winner of those matches will face each other in the quarterfinals. On the other side of the bracket, Athletico Ottawa hosts York United in an all-Ontario clash with the winner taking on Pacific FC in the quarterfinals. League One Ontario champions, Guelph United hosts HFX Wanderers. The winner faces Toronto FC at home in the quarterfinals. Finally, Forge welcomes Montreal to Tim Field. The winner of that faces CF Montreal at Statsapudo in the quarters. A reminder that all those preliminary games will be played from May 10th to the 12th. Both TFC and Montreal could face each other in the semifinals if both progress. Well, Vancouver would face CPL competition all the way to a potential final. But given their recent performance in the tournament, that's not a certainty. (laughs) Uh, What are your major takeaways uh, from the draw?
0: I love the fact that... Guelph is going to be hosting HFX. I think that caught everybody's attention. I was very surprised that TFC got drawn away from home for the quarterfinals. I thought for sure that there'd be some sort of funny business and they'd end up getting the, the home match as they seem to always get the home games in the Canadian championship. But but I like it. It's it's a very intriguing draw all the way around. You got Valor, who could potentially be the latest team to upset the Whitecaps, um, an all Ontario clash, an all Alberta clash. Um I like the fact, Thomas, that they did a live draw. I think that is something that really adds a lot of um momentum behind the competition, a lot of excitement behind the tournament. So I hope that we see, con- I hope that we continue to see that going forward for sure.
1: Definitely has a lot more transparency as well as you know, see, you know, understand the process. Very interesting to see that Vancouver will be playing CPL opposition. And I hope that helps, you know, obviously with ticket revenues and and whatnot, um, as far as that goes. Probably is Forge's best chance to win the Canadian Championship uh, or or any CPL team, because now now you have a situation where a CPL team could be making the final, uh, which obviously would be a first. Uh, But which game are you most looking forward to in this tournament?
0: It's a toss-up between the Guelph and HFX game. And I would also say Valor and the Whitecaps, just because of the upset potential. And then also, um, and that goes for both games, by the way, as well as just the, the potential ambiance you could see at Guelph. Um, like, I may actually end up trying to go down there and watch that game. Like, th- that's how excited I am for this. So th- those would be the two that would definitely stand out the most. And I also hope, because we talked about this the other week, um, that you end up seeing more lower league competition involved in this, because that's what kind of gives the tournament its uh, its, its its real kind of Canadian feel, I suppose. Is just having those those other clubs outside of you know the top tiers being involved in the tournament.
1: Well, shout out to one of our loyal listeners, Cliff Jameson. Who you know reached out to us via email and wanted us to talk about the draw before the draw happened. <laughs> uh, uh, so you know, shout out to him. Obviously, always um, much uh, grateful there. If you want to reach out to us uh, by email, please do at northernfootballshow at gmail.com. bunch of CF Montreal faced Cruzeiro in their Concacaf Champions League quarterfinal matchup uh, with a one nil loss at stadio Azteca in the first leg on wednesday the second leg will be played at the big o this wednesday now given the domination from cruz azul particularly in the first half should Montreal be optimistic about the second leg
0: probably not um they were a train wreck in that first half i understand they were playing at altitude and cruz azul is one of the top teams in mexico but that was horrific uh, they were so disorganized off the ball. Like, there was so much space for Cruz Azul to exploit. Um, and once again, issues building from the back for Montreal. Um, Cruz Azul didn't necessarily take advantage the entire time. But if that continues in Montreal... Cruz Azul is going to win this one again, and it probably will be greater than 1-0 because Sebastian Bressa again, as I said off the top of the show, Thomas, was unbelievable in this one. Again, much like he was um in Torreon against Santos Laguna.
1: Right, right. I mean look, Cruz Azul, you know, given the fact they have, you know, just a one-nothing loss at Stadio Azteca, a stadium that not a lot of teams get results in in general, that has to have at least some merit, you know, to keep it close, mostly to Breza's credit, of course. But a bunch of are to turn the other cheek and, you know, have a chance. What are those keys to victory?
0: They just, they have to be tighter defensively. The fact they didn't score um, an away goal puts them at a pretty big disadvantage. So it just has to be better in general. The midfield especially was all over the place. And I understand they had to cover all this ground and the pitch out of Stadio Azteca is quite wide. Once they kind of figured that out, that was the partnership of Kone and Wanyama. There wasn't as much space to exploit. So if they can kind of keep it compact and then utilize their strengths on the counter, that's going to be the best way. Um, Romel Kyoto is going to be fit for this one. He wasn't fit for for the first leg, which is pretty huge. So I would imagine he is going to get the start. I could maybe end up seeing Kai Kamara starting as well because they're probably going to want to get uh, Schwaniers and Lapalinen's crosses, uh, some sort of solid target and kamara is definitely that solid target for those crosses um that's going to be it it's going to be difficult the fact that they came out of there only losing one nil is massive but i really don't favor their chances just because of how really poor defensively they have been all season
1: now see kyoto did score uh that goal at home when they play against santos Laguna, so they will be needing him uh, if he is available On that subject, though, Montreal was in action in MLS over the weekend as they suffered another loss 4-1 to NYCFC, the reigning MLS champions. Final question to close out, the Montreal section from Vince Alvarado at Vince Vitamante. Any worry for Montreal's poor defensive form? Nancy wanted a defense-first setup, but this team so far seems too easy to carve up, especially when they tried to build from the back do you guys worry about how this will affect Miller and Johnson with Canada? Uh, personally, I don't think so. Just because uh, what one coach does is different than another, and 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 look, even just reversed this, the fact that they're playing together that means that they can understand uh, each other better on the field. No.
0: Yeah, I feel like they probably would have already. Um, but I, I feel like because they have. The, the tactics down pat with Canada really helps them. Am I worried for Montreal's poor defensive form from a Montreal perspective? Yes, because it's a complete disaster. Um, now, Nancy did point out that because this back line hasn't played together a lot and they've constantly had to rotate due to suspension, injury, and then just obviously managing the, the Champions League and whatnot... They haven't gotten their positioning and or their intricacies down while building in front of the back. But it's really basic stuff that they're getting wrong. Like if you look at that second goal for NYCFC over the weekend, it was just a simple case of Miller and Corbo not retreating far enough closer to the goalkeeper to give Bressa a bit of an outlet. And because Bressa's right-footed, you he would benefit by passing it to the right, because the angle benefits that. So it's just little things like that that Montreal just isn't doing. I don't think that's going to affect Miller and Johnston at all, although Johnston has played all over the place, right wing back, right centre back, throughout the, the early parts of the campaign. But I, I don't see it affecting their form with, with Canada, really.
1: Sticking to MLS, Toronto C lost 2-1 to Columbus Crew after taking the lead in the first
0: half. Any general takeaways or thoughts on one any of the seven Canadians in action? So, I feel like the big sort of takeaway from this game, besides the fact that they blew a, a 1 0 lead, surrounds a particular Canadian Thomas, and it's Noble Ocello. Um, and I know Mark Carvalho asked us about this. I think it was something along the lines of should we temper our expectations or are these just growing pains for Ocello? I'm going to write about this for TFC Republic later in the week, John Molinaro's website. When Okello was breaking through at 16, 17 years old, everyone was so high on him, right? As they often are with young players. And when I watched him play for the youth national teams, all I kept thinking to myself was he's still very raw and he is very clearly benefiting from his height and size advantage right now because there were some really poor touches or poor decisions he was making that were masked because of his really long strides, his ability to get back quickly with those long strides and just the physical advantage he has. Now that he's transitioned to the professional game where everybody's on the same level pretty much, you're seeing those issues come through. And defensively, he is a solid enough piece. He will cover a lot of ground, he will get defensively involved. On the ball is where he really struggles. And even if you go back to his loan in Denmark, Thomas, where he was playing regularly every single week, he didn't make a lot of improvements in that department. So that's why I wonder if it's actually ever going to come. Because if it didn't happen in, what was it, about 1,500 minutes, maybe 2,000 minutes, then will it end up coming with Toronto FC? And I'm just not too sure.
1: Well, speaking on that, there are two names that, you know, I want to point out, and that's Karim Chang and Luke McNon. Both making their first MLS start and with raving praise. I mean, to make the jump from the CPL to the MLS. They looked pretty good, and considering, you know, it is just their first start, you know, could we see them, you know, you know, try and break in this, you know, just already hard to get in uh, inside?
0: I, I, I'm going to point this out. They were very good in the first half, yes. Second half, they were culpable for both of the goals in some way. Um, They were losing their marker, getting beaten at the back post, maybe making one or two hesitant decisions on the ball. Those are things that are going to be ironed out in time because I feel like set-piece defending is something that you work on as a team. But they definitely struggled second half, and you're going to expect that, right? When they're making that sort of a jump up. Um, If they can start regularly and, and... Impress McNaughton might end up getting one of those depth center back spots. Um, he can play on the right side where Canada's lacking depth. Chung, it will be a bit more difficult because of the squad depth that Canada has in those positions. Um, but yeah, certainly we're tracking for the future.
1: Another question from David Parrott What's happening with Kobe Franklin? Looked like he really had a good year at Toronto FC2 and TFC are low on fullbacks this year.
0: Yeah, he. Probably will end up getting a chance likely in the Canadian championship, I would imagine, um, in May. Because I think right now they're just kind of working on getting Chung embedded, working on Schaffelberg and Marshall Ruddy's positional changes. Um, Kobe Franklin, at least, is someone who can play in that position predominantly, so... He's someone to watch for sure. Right now, I don't think it's going to happen, though. Canadian Championship, he should get his opportunity because he was, as David said, very good last year for TFC2. Finally,
1: the Vancouver Whitecaps also took a 1-0 lead against the Houston Dynamo, but lost 2-1 on the road. Still running, however, from a Canadian perspective was Lucas Cowini scoring his first of the year. Plus, Christian Gutierrez, who had a solid performance in the final third. Player that we will very much likely see uh, in March. Thoughts on both of their performances?
0: Cavallini was very much benefiting from the Whitecaps hitting earlier crosses. That's something I pointed out um, during the Canada section. That's where he thrives. So the more often Vancouver can do that, the more he is going to score. Um, He actually had one or two other quality opportunities to do that. Um, He just happened to hit the header over the bar or maybe, you know, mishit the shot, what have you. Um, Gutierrez, going forward, excellent. His set-piece deliveries were very good as always, and that's another weapon that, you know, would behoove Canada for sure if they call him up defensively, he was getting beat on the dribble a lot, and that is one area of concern I have. If Canada's playing in a back three in possession, I don't think it's as much of a problem, but he was often losing his man whenever Houston was kind of transitioning the other way, and he got caught a couple of times.
1: And to wrap up this loaded, busy show with the news and notes, the Canadian women's U-20 team officially qualified for the U-20 World Cup later this year after beating Puerto Rico 2-0 in their 3rd place match. Canada had previously lost 1-0 to Mexico in the semifinals but managed to qualify via the third place. CanMT Armada wants to know, is there any update on discussions between British Columbia and FIFA and or the CSA for the potential of Vancouver becoming a host city? For the 2026 World Cup, what are the expected dates when the confirmed host states, confirmed cities will be announced?
0: So we actually had Nick Bontis on the show, and he did say that it's it's actually expected what in a, in a few months here. So the fact that Vancouver's still alive, they could end up getting back in. I think it would actually help Edmonton's case a lot if Vancouver got it. Um, you know, it's another world-class city. Um, it reduces the travel time between the West Coast of the U.S. as well as to Edmonton and, and other countries in the middle part of the continent. I think the chances are decent. The the fact that Premier John Horgan is open to the idea is positive. BC needs the tourism dollars, so we'll see what happens. But there is a chance for sure.
1: If there's a well. There's a way. York United announced the signing of Canada U23 international goalkeeper Matthew Nogueira, who previously played for Maritimo in Portugal. Pacific FC announced a loan of Vancouver Whitecaps' midfielder Cam Habibula, who then scored in a friendly versus Whitecaps FC Two, The club announced that Mark Village and Armando Sa have been named to Jason Merriman's coaching staff. Village returns to his third season as goalkeeper coach and Sa joins as assistant coach. Athletico Ottawa added veteran Abdul Sissoko to the roster of the 2022 season with an option for another year. Sissoko has played in Ligue A, Serie A, La Liga, and Turkish Super League. Played for Kuwait SC, where he was under leadership of Carlos Gonzalez. Another question from kenneman t Armada to close out the show. Is there any update news for where the proposed Metro Vancouver CPL team may be located as their home and proposed stay?
0: So they actually had an interview. This was uh, Dean Shillington with um, AFTN Canada a few weeks ago. And they have located Langley and or Surrey as the potential uh, venue for the CPL team there. I think it's going to likely be Langley. That's where the land is. But if it's in Surrey, that might end up being the best of both worlds because that's a growing community. Lots of people live there. It's close-ish to other major municipalities in the greater Vancouver area. So that could be one benefit, but I think it's going to end up being Langley here. That is going to do it for us this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Um, We will be back with you next week when the Canada squad has been announced and we'll break down everything from that news, as well as preview the Costa Rica match on the 24th. Until then for Thomas Neff, I'm Peter Galindo. We will chat to you next week.